0: I'm recording, are you? I am indeed. Got all your burps out the way?
1: Yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> okay, cool. Hello and welcome to Sounds That Changed My Life. This is a podcast by myself and Josh. Say hello, Josh. Hello. Hello. Um, basically, this is going to be a podcast looking at sounds and albums, songs, soundtracks that influenced us um, growing up, basically. Um, You know, just because it changed our lives, though, doesn't mean that we won't have, you know, bad viewpoints on it. Isn't that true, Josh? It is indeed. All of this is pretty
0: much just our own opinions. Uh, It's not gospel. So regardless of whether anybody else has their own point of view, that's fine. So it's just how we've had these sounds affect us and our lives in the past. So. I think that's a good
2: way of looking at it. It's like, you know, we're going to be critical on certain things, but we also, you know, we still appreciate the sounds and the things that we're looking at. So, you know, obviously in the title, you probably already know that we're looking at Dookie by Green Day. Um, So (laughs) hopefully you're in the right place for the right reason. Um, We're just going to start off with uh, some, you know, little trivias and, you know, things about the album, just in case you don't know what it is. Um, And, you know, we'll do some opening thoughts, you know, talking about how me and Josh look at the album before we actually do it. Then we're going to do a rundown of the album track by track. Um, Some songs we don't really have a lot of notes for, as we went through last night. Um, We are going off of some notes. Um, The way that me and Josh run it is we listen to the sounds and the albums by ourselves. And we come together and chat about it on here. Um, So... Give me some trivia josh tell me some stuff about the album <laughs> right so apparently uh the
0: album itself wasn't actually going to be called just dookie it was going to be called liquid dookie but <laughs> they actually oh. had to change it purely for the fact that the label said it was too gross yeah
2: it doesn't um, have the same ring to it does it really
0: no, not really i mean to be honest with the the style of their music throughout this album yeah. Going away from the label, it probably would have
2: fit. Yeah, I think you know, Liquid Dookie is a bit uh, a little bit Ooh, weird. Cool. It's g- <laughs> it's going to be weird putting it on the album. You could call it hot shit, I guess, but <laughs> <laughs> don't have the same ring though. Doesn't? No, I don't. Um, so the album itself was released on the first of February, nineteen ninety-four. I was about a year, about a year old.
0: How old were you? Um, when was it released?
2: What month? 1st of February 1994. Oh, I wasn't even born. <laughs> you weren't even a thought. Well, you were a thought. You were a very imminent thought. Um, cool. Um, that's mad. Uh, so, yeah, basically the album includes themes of anxiety, panic attacks, stuff like masturbation and sexual orientation, which we'll get into, uh, boredom and also divorce. Um, It's the first album that was released on Reprise Records after leaving Lookout um, Mm. on very friendly terms. Mm. And it was produced by Rob Cavallo, which I can never get his name right, so I hope I got that right. Um, He's done a lot of their music, as far as I know. Mm. Um, I think there's only like one or two albums that he didn't actually do. And I think that one of them was the last album, which I wasn't a massive fan of, but I love this album, so that's okay. Yeah um what else you got josh do you have anything else yeah yeah uh they actually
0: won a grammy for best alternative album uh in 1995 um welcome to paradise one of the tracks on this album was actually recorded uh well it was re-recorded sorry uh as it was originally on the album Kaplunk. Mm. um it's i don't know if you know uh knew about this but it's Consistently placed in uh, Rolling Stones' 500 Greatest Albums of All Time.
2: See, that's mad. I didn't. I looked at their 500 for this year, and I'm Hmm. not sure if it's on there, but it should still be on there. Oh, of course. Um, You know, there's a lot of new stuff coming around. Music tastes change year on year, so you know it might come off, then come back on, depending on trends. Yeah. Um, the album's actually quite short, to be fair. It's 39 minutes and 38 seconds. Hopefully, the podcast that we do is going to come under that. Mm. Um, <laughs> we were planning for these podcasts to be quite short. Looking at the notes, maybe not a thing.
0: Yeah, I don't think so, with this one. <laughs>
2: um, so, yeah, it was a third release after Kaplunk and 39 Smooth, um, which I'm going to be honest, I haven't listened to either of those two. No, I don't think
0: i have to be honest.
2: Um, but yeah, to be fair, it was, it was the first album to really sort of alienate certain fans, but it took them into the mainstream. So, you know, the commercial success caused the band's original fans from the Gilman Street scene that they came up in to regard them as sellouts. So they sort of got disregarded by them to go into the mainstream.
0: To be honest, I think, it, I think they did the right decision because the, how big they are now. It's phenomenal. Like yeah. they've sold out uh, world tours quite a few times.
2: Yeah, it's, it's like I tried to get tickets for like 10 years to see them, like consistently every year. And it was one of those things that I could never get tickets that just sell out. Oh, dear. <laughs> so it's, it's crazy to think that they've managed to do that mm. from a little small club. Great. Um, You know, I haven't got it on my notes here, but I do know that they went back to Gilman Street when they went into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Oh, really? Which is crazy. You know, it's (laughs) like a full circle moment. Yeah. Um, Right, so moving on to the opening thoughts. Basically, we're just going to say what we think about the album. Clue is in the name. Yeah. Um, So give me some thoughts, Josh. Make me ponder.
0: Okay. Um, So... Obviously, this being around in the punk era, uh, back in the early to mid nineties, obviously that was such a such a big scene. Obviously, their well to me anyway, their songs are short and sweet. It really does fit that kind of genre. Um, yeah. After listening to it, not gonna lie, after listening to it again over the past few days. I forgot about a lot of the stuff that was on there. Yeah, I was exactly the same as you. (laughs) The one thing that mainly stood out to me is just how great the recording quality was back then. Everything is absolutely pristine. I mean, I don't know who mixed it, but to me, it's phenomenal. I really enjoyed uh, listening to it purely for the fact of the, the quality.
2: Yeah, I know um, that the um, the the mix on it itself was the album that you hear now is their second mix. They first disregarded the first mix; they said it wasn't good enough. Ah, oh, okay, that um, makes sense. And Rob Cavallo, the producer, he also agreed with them, so they ended up um, remixing it at like a more local studio, and that's what we hear today, basically.
0: Yeah.
2: Hmm. Uh, Personally, my
0: favourite song on the album is Longview, uh, purely for the fact it was uh, one of the songs that just brings most childhood memories to me. I mean, I I heard this album uh, through my dad enjoying their music, and obviously you listen to the stuff that your parents listen to, and this just seemed to be one of those albums that uh, came to me. And I listened to it. Virtually every day.
2: Yeah, I remember hearing it through you and you got it through your dad and you sat and taught me the bass line for Longview and it took me about four days. (laughs) And that was just the intro. Like it's it's one of those, but it's crazy saying it because you're saying, you know, it takes you back to like childhood memories, you know, listening Mm -hmm. to songs about masturbation. You don't tend to really (laughs) pick up on it when you're a kid, to be (laughs) fair. You just think, Oh, this is loud and fast.
0: Yeah. I mean, to be honest, I'm I'm no good with lyrics if I'm honest, but so all that's still probably still I um, completely disregarded. And I, I listen to albums from a musician's point of view. So I listen to the yeah. guitar's John's bass, blah, 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 and all that kind of stuff. So lyrics aren't really my strong point.
2: Yeah. So I think that's where we kind of change. So when you're listening to this podcast, we will um, approach it. Sorry if you can hear a car going past, by the way, that is, Outside my house. Um, but yeah, basically, we approach it from two different point of views. I tend to look at lyrics a lot more and, you know, contextually. Um, I do pick up on, like, some production. That's kind of my background with Josh. It's a lot more how music is written um, mm-hmm. and, you know, maybe the textures of the songs, what what you actually hear. So I think we're kind of doing a good scope of it, to be fair. Mm. Um, but, you know, in terms of, like how I look at the album. It's one of those that I just think, you know, it was one of the first albums that I owned. So it's kind of like a fine wine. It gets better with time. (laughs) Um, But I'd never heard anything like it um, before. And I thought it was great. It was just something that I'd never heard. Um, But at the same time, I think a lot of it is deliberate. You know, they had written a lot of stuff for this album that I think they did for a reason to maybe get to a higher market or, get to a better, better kind of position in playing live, more fans, for yeah. instance. Uh, it was definitely one of those albums that helped bring punk to the main uh, mainstream. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of the other later records, if you think about it like Warning, um that even though that was like 2000, Nimrod and stuff like that, they were a lot more gritty, so they were being very deliberate with the production on this.
0: Yeah. I mean, to be honest, the earlier stuff was... I presume it's more experimental to try and find their sound.
2: Yeah, I think it was just recording uh, as much as they could for as cheap as they could because they weren't making the money to tour. Mm-hmm. Whereas this is like a major label release. Yeah. So I think the you know everything down to the artwork is deliberate. You know it's supposed to be childlike. You know humorous. Um, they're kind of catering to their audience at that time, which would be younger than what you would typically think now, because a lot of people have grown up with them now. Yeah. Have I missed anything on your opening thoughts? Uh,
0: Apart from personal, I, this era is probably my favourite era for Green Day. Yeah. I like how everything's been written for the fact of writing music, rather than, it, rather than being taken over by label. label. Um, and it being all political and stuff like that. I have heard albums in the past by other bands where as soon as they get signed by a label, it just completely goes political. And as much as I still love the music, it can get quite repetitive.
2: Yeah, I think there's three eras to Green Day. Um, I think there's the Dookie era, where it's very punk, you know, very Mm -hmm. fast. They're dabbling into certain things like, you know, when you get to the end of the album for, I think it's F.O.D., it starts with an acoustic guitar. Billy Joe didn't really do that a lot um, mm-hmm. up until you get to like the second era when you hear, like, Good Riddance. Mm-hmm. Um, and you get to, like, Warning, where it's kind of like Bruce Springsteen, you know, a lot of acoustic, not as much loud, thrashy guitars and stuff like that. And then you get to, like, Post-American Idiot. Um, where it's a lot more political, um, everything is a lot more shiny and clean. Mm-hmm. Um, I swing in and out of liking American Idiot. I can always listen to it, but I can always always listen to Dookie. Yeah, so it's, it's, it's just fun. Yeah, that's exactly. It. If you want to listen to some fast, you know, if you're in a punk mind frame and stuff like that, um, you listen to that album. Whereas American Idiot, like, there's certain songs on it that I really love. I can't listen to American Idiot the song anymore. It was so much on oh Koran growing up that I can't listen to it. <laughs> White um, White. White. And listening to songs like What's a Name just depresses me. Mm-hmm. So I, I tend to leave that alone now. <laughs> yeah. um, so kind of moving on to the track by track, the way that we're going to do this, just so it doesn't feel so uh, kind of disjointed for the podcast itself, just in terms of background, we are going to listen to the song track by track. You won't hear that because of obviously copyright. We don't want to kind of... Get struck down for stuff like that. And then after the song, we're going to give our views and, you know, what we thought about the song. Again, it might not be what you think. It might be lyrically what I think and what Josh is looking at. So, you know, feel free to join in the conversation. This will be going up on our YouTube. It's also going to be going on to Spotify, Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts too. So as soon as it goes up, let us know, join in the conversation and hopefully you enjoy it too, You know, feel free to pause along with us. So when you get to certain songs, pause along, go listen to the song, and then you'll be in the same mindset as us. But just in case you hear a few little pauses here and there, that's why we're doing it. Okay, so uh, track one is Burnout. Um, As we just said, we have just listened to it, so we are a little bit more familiar. Um, In my opinion, that's how an album should be opened. You know, it's Mm. fast and loud. You don't want to have... Little acoustic guitars. Well, depending on the, the sound of the album, obviously. Yeah. Um, you know, it's kind of setting tone for the album about, you know, adolescent themes. You know, mm-hmm. he's talking about anxiety, really. I think, anyway. Questioning how things work, like, like how life works, saying, oh, am I growing up or just burning out? Um, I'm not going to sing it. <laughs> but, you know, I think it's one of those things that a lot of people kind of go through when you kind of get to the point when you're not a kid anymore and you're expected to go out and get a job. You're like, right, I'm shattered. And it's like, is this normal or am I ruining myself? Yeah. Um, I think it's quite nice to be able to address that in, in a fun way without kind of writing a depressing song. I suppose it's a way that people can relate to it as well. Oh, 100%. It's like when he says, you know, I stand in line to walk amongst the dead. It's kind of like you know, complying with society's viewpoint of you sort of like, you know, falling in line doing Mm -hmm. what you're expected to do, which is, you know, not a lot of people to get to, get to step outside that norm. I don't think. Oh no, definitely not. You know, a lot of people, the majority of people will tend to just do what they're expected to do. Whereas, you know, this is a band who are going, right, we don't want to do that. And we're going to address that. And that's how we're going to get to that next step of not doing that. Yeah, well I did it in the right way Yeah, I think, I think it's, a, it's a nice little way of doing it But in, in terms of like musically um, My favourite section of that song is the bridge section Yeah I think it, it's the whole the um, That bit, you know It's um, the whole unison thing It's something that you would hear live Like they've written this album as a band live Mm, and it y- kind of reminds me of like, you know, the old 60- 50s and 60s videos of people dancing in black and white. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it's it's set to a song that's like two minutes long. It's quite crazy. I, I just
0: don't understand how they get so much content within such a short amount of time. I mean, to be honest, with the going off the bridge section, the yeah. part that stands out the most to me are the drum fills in the quiet sections. Like, it's so fast, very impressive, and so unique, especially for around that, that era time for, like, the punk vibe. Yeah. Uh, no, I, I really enjoy both uh, guitar and bass tones uh, together. Like, they accompany each other so well.
2: I feel like they're a band that have really worked on their craft to find what works with their sound rather than just going, this is my sound, let's play it to your drums.
0: yeah. It's almost like they've each mastered their own instruments and then come together uh, to put it all, all together.
2: Yeah, 100%. Um, have I missed anything for Burnout? Uh, I think that's everything for me. I think we're good. I think we should move on to Having a Blast.
0: Yeah. Sweet. Okay, let's do that then. So, track two uh, Having a Blast. Uh, one of those songs that. First, initial thoughts are, is the fact that I appreciate how you can hear the bass tone straight off the bat. I think, I don't know, the having both guitar and bass playing separate things rather than what you hear today is a lot of the time you'll hear bass just follow the root notes of the guitar. Yeah. I think that for this album works so well. Having completely yeah.
2: separate. I think they, um you know, the to- Mike Dunst tone is. It's always been kind of growling, you know, mm. like in the verse it, he plays along with the low toms. There's not much kind of instrumentation going on, yeah, um, and it's really nice to hear that because you just really get the clarity of the bass. Oh, um, of course. You know, I don't really know Mike Dunst's real second name, but that's where he got his name from. The whole. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I think it's I think it's one of those that you can tell they've been playing these songs for a long time together. Yeah, rather than just going into the studio and writing an album in a studio like a lot of people tend to do now. Mm-hmm. No, I, I, I just appreciate it
0: so much because you don't really hear that a lot anymore. Yeah, so a lot of it because obviously all of the technology today is a lot is is digital. Um, so you don't get that warmth and clarity of having um all the old stuff it's a shame but now the, um the transitions between the sections between the verse and the chorus i i really like as well
2: yeah you can it's, it's one of those that you can it, it's held together by the vocals as well like mm-hmm. it's the first song i really realized it wasn't just billy joe singing yeah um you've got the harmonies that sing together um and it's it's very easy being that it's so catchy to take a seat back and sort of not listen to the instrumentation because you're listening to the lyrics yeah i mean to be honest throughout the theme of this
0: album a lot of it depends on that yeah in my opinion um it works don't get me wrong but i think with the whole each of them mastering their crafts and putting it together unless you're being quite analytical about it, the average listener is probably going to miss a lot. There was actually listening to this album again, there was points that I completely missed, like underlying layers, which I'll get get onto in a bit.
2: I think when we agreed to look at this as the first album for the podcast, um, was the first time I've really sat down and listened to it in an analytical way, in a critical way. Yeah. Um, you know, when you listen to it like you said casually, you tend to just go, "Oh, that's cool." But when you're looking for things to look into and talk about, it's actually crazy the stuff that you pick up, like you know, for instance, um, there's a descending melody in the in the verse, and it keeps coming back and yeah. you it feels familiar, so that's what helps you kind of latch onto that song because it's catchy. yeah, but, totally. Again, like what tends to be my favourite stuff in most Green Day songs is the middle eight, like the, the, the bridge of the song. Mm-hmm. You know, it's the first time in maybe both songs, like the first two songs that you hear a break. You know, the middle eight is the first time you hear a break in the constant pushing rhythm, and it makes yeah. you pay attention because it's like, oh, there's silence
1: mm-hmm.
2: um, rather than just constant music. It's really cool how they use silence as an instrument
0: it's nice it also almost gives it because of the whole craziness of the album as well the silence gives you that slight bit of a break so you can breathe for a second
2: yeah it's always good to have a chance to breathe <laughs> <laughs> um, right let's uh, have a look at track three which is uh chump this is my first negative point of the podcast so far i'd say i think it's one of the most skippable songs Oh really? Yeah, I just I feel like it's um, it's more of a I don't think I will don't want to say filler track because it's not a filler track. Mm-hmm. It feels like a like an interlude, um, because oh, okay. it's the song split into it's a uh, quite an angsty angry song and then it transitions into basically the intro slash interlude for Long View. Yeah. So. You know, it's only the, the second part of the song where my ears prick up and I'm like, ah, oh, Longview. Yeah, to be honest, I, it's the whole bass solo section for me
0: that gets it. The first half, it's great. It's not necessarily the best. But yeah, like you said, the ears prick up once you start hearing about the interlude towards Longview. Um, even though the riff for the bass is played over and over again. Listen. Obviously, now this has been out for 26 years. You listen to feel old. Of, <laughs> you listen to music of today, and there's a lot of music and bands out there which don't actually give the bassist the recognition that they should. Yep. It's just like mm, just stand in the back. You're, you're
2: fine. Um, you tend to see that, a lot of 80s bands, don't you? That they, they there's always a famous bassist like Gene Simmons from Kiss. Yeah, you know, exactly. Geddy Lee from Rush—you've you, got all those, but you don't tend to see it in modern bands. Yeah, it's a shame
0: because I wish more bands did do it now. But but now I, I, I listening to it again after a little while, I thought there's a lot of obviously because like you know me, like some forty one was one of those bands which I grew up with, and that was pretty much my first rock band. That yep. got me into listening to the stuff that I listen to now. 100%. Um Listening to this song again, especially for the bass solo section, it really gives me that vibe that some 41 has used this song for so much inspiration towards their songs uh, themselves.
2: Yeah, which... you listen to a lot of the stuff from All Killer No Filler. There's a lot of, like, it's like this on the album. Yeah, exactly.
0: And... Listening to it in an analytical point of view, that's quite. As I don't know, it's one thing that quite shocked me, to be honest, and I, I I appreciate that because I I now know. I mean, they may not have done that, and it's just me trying to pick points where I can. But that's the kind of thought that I got from listening to this again.
2: Yeah, I think you're dead on the point. Like you listen to. If you go to the latest Sun 41 stuff, I think they've followed them straight through their career within a few years. Like, you go to Underclass Hero and you mm-hmm. watch the way that Derek is in the music videos. He's, I've always thought he's kind of ripping off, you know, Billy Joe to a T. Yeah. You know, you see him playing, he does the same mannerisms and things like that. Or maybe, you know, when American Idiot came out, Billy Joe did the same, or they're just the same person. <laughs> but, you know, it's it's one of those that you see a lot. It's only really in the last couple of years that you see some 41 playing live and stuff like that, that he doesn't really do that much stuff anymore. Yeah, I think with the
0: whole, uh, it's more, I think they grew up. Yeah. They had a bit of time to go away and then they've come back and have grown up because I know uh, it
2: was a guitarist in some 41. They'd left for ages, didn't they? Yeah. Brown sound. Uh, <laughs> that was his name, wasn't it? Dave, Dave Batch, whatever his, I think his name is Baxh or something like that. But yeah, he, they called him Brown sound for years. Um, but yeah, he left up until like, I think it was 2016. Jeez. Um, which is a long time to leave a band, especially to come back. You look at guns N' roses and see slash coming back when they very publicly hated each other for such a long time. And you kind of go, where's the money? Yeah, <laughs> but you know, kind of circling back to the song, it's. it's I think it's one of those that uh, they were just doing an interlude before interlude tracks were really a thing. Every band does them now.
0: Yeah, um, I, I think the transition between Trump and Longview is absolutely phenomenal. One of the probably
2: one of the best songs I've heard to do that. Yeah, the transition is like basically they they just basically cut a fill in half, don't they? It's not. It's not like, oh, now we're transitioning into this song. It's we're just carrying on from one song to another. Mm-hmm. Um, I think looking at the song, though, um, if I'm talking about certain elements, the chorus is catchy. I'm not going to sit and slag the song down because it's it's a catchy chorus. Mm-hmm. you know. And it, it's the same as the last song. It's got a very straightforward pushing rhythm to it. Yeah. Um, but it again, it touches on those adolescent themes of just growing up. It kind of looks at jealousy. You know, maybe a girlfriend or ex-girlfriend has found someone new. Maybe has okay. a new friend. Because he says, I don't know you, but I think I hate you. And it's <laughs> like, you know, I thought at first, maybe that's a celebrity on TV, but you see people on TV. So it might be hearsay, he so might have heard about someone or, you know, without being Billy Joe, we don't know. Yeah, But it's stuff that a lot of people can tap into, I think. So
0: track four, Longview, by far, my favourite song on the album. Uh, Like I said earlier, I think it's just... (laughs) Spitey opinion. (laughs) I think it's purely for the fact it just brings back so many childhood memories for me. Um, I mean, like I said, it's the whole... I remember hearing my dad play it, and it was early signs of me getting into this type of music, but I, I, I think... As a musician's point of view now towards this song, I think there is a fantastic difference between the sections. Uh, for instance, how you go from the first verse being quiet, and you go to the chorus, which is quite loud and aggressive, and you go back to being quiet and then loud. I, I don't know. I think that's one of the things that uh, I think works well because you're getting so many different, um, so many different transitions between. The audio, I suppose
2: yeah, I think there's a like a stark difference between you know the toms in the verse to suddenly the whole band comes in in a chorus it It makes you sit up and listen to it. I think that's why like I'm the same as you. Nostalgia takes over because it was the first song I ever heard from Green Day, like my sister used to play it all the time, mm. um, and then obviously, you taught me to play it on bass to a very shoddy degree, but not you teaching me. Like (laughs) I played it really bad. Um, but I still love playing it now to be honest. It's a lot of fun. I don't know, like it's it's quite hard to get your head around at first. Like we found out looking into this that Mike Dern wrote this while he was under the influence of LSD (laughs) which is mental. Like and then Then you had trouble playing (laughs) it afterwards. (laughs) Yeah. Once he was sober he couldn't play it. Which is is nuts because when I was like fully well thinking, and I'm a lot older and more jaded now, <laughs> and I find it I find it hard to play now. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's it's one of those. Uh, I, I think it it's one of the songs that really is obvious in when you're singing along to it that what it's about. He's mm-hmm. talking about boredom.
0: You know, yeah. a lot of
2: it is about um, you know complacency and procrastination. I think. You know, it's the mm-hmm. first mainstream song that I ever recall being about masturbation, mm. <laughs> which is really weird to say out loud because um, they touch on the whole going blind myth, which gets referenced right in the last line of the song. Yeah. Um, and he's talking about <laughs> biting his lip and closing his eyes, leaving it all to his imagination sort of thing. <laughs> and it's, it's when you look into the lyrics for albums that you kind of go, oh, you yeah, actually
0: realise what it's about. You're
2: like, and you're like, when I'm like 12, 13 years old, like, yeah, this is great. <laughs> <laughs> That's the thing, like,
0: adolescent children just completely blow over this kind of stuff. And you don't realise until you, like, you obviously, it comes part of natural life.
2: Yeah, it's taken me, re- like, years to really look into stuff like this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I like it, though, because, like, the fact that there's no guitar until like the chorus makes it feel like a big wall of sound.
0: Yeah, you know, it's time. really
2: bouncy as well when it gets to that chorus. So it's it's you can see why they've gone from playing clubs to playing arenas with it.
0: Mm-hmm. Definitely. No, I think the uh, the use of multi vocals as well, like the harmonies between, uh, especially in the in the chorus as well. I think the the vocal range between the band members works so well. Yeah. uh, I, i would noticed it quite a lot throughout this album as well. Um, I just think what they do
2: and have done for this
0: album worked.
2: I think that um, you can tell that they've been singing the songs together and they would really worked on those harmonies. Mm-hmm. And I, d- I don't think so much in the newer albums, but when you see Green Day live and like live footage of them, it's something that you really pick up on. Yeah. It's back in vocals and back in harmonies and stuff. Because you know, you could be the worst singer in the world. But if you have someone that harmonizes with you, you sound ten times better. Yeah. (laughs) Um I I like the line though where he's talking about like peel me off this Velcro seat. (laughs) It reminds me of like my mum used to have a leather. Um she still does have a leather sofa, but she used to have this old dark green leather sofa. Oh, I and that. <laughs> um, during the summer, it gets so hot because you'd have it in front of the bay window and it gets so sweaty and you'd stick to it. <laughs> so when he sings that line, I'm like, oh, that brings back some very horrible memories.
0: <laughs> um, I suppose it was relatable again.
2: Yeah, I think that's the thing where he talks about, um, he gets the, I think it's the bridge. And he's saying, I've got no motivation. Where is my motivation? Mm-hmm. I think all of us have been there. It's, you know, procrastination at its finest. You kind of got mm-hmm. all the intention in the world. I've done it with this podcast, getting it off the ground. All <laughs> the kind of intention in the world to go, like, yeah, I'm going to do this today. And then you get a week later and you're like, oh, what have I actually done? Tomorrow never comes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but I think it's it's really funny how a lot of lyrics move forward with time as well, though, because... You know, Billy Joe talks about sitting and watching the phone, but no one's calling. Mm-hmm. The, the way that I look at it is there's kind of two sides to this. You know, this was before the internet, so Sharkara, he was waiting for his friends to call. Um, but we still do it now. Yeah. You know, we kind of, we get so consumed by our phones and, you know, social media and stuff, which I mean, go for it because you're listening to this podcast on a form <laughs> of social media. So have at it. <laughs> um, but I think it can lead us to be more lazy as well. Yeah. You know, I, I I'm, I'm sure you won't mind me saying that, you know, Josh doesn't use social media. He doesn't have it on his phone at all, really.
0: I took myself away from it. It takes up too much time. I'd rather spend time with the people who I care about most rather than feeling that I have, I have to be glued to my phone.
2: Yeah, I feel like you can be more productive as well.
0: Yeah. It's not the
2: step that I've taken yet, and it's a step that I've wanted to take for a very long time. Mm-hmm. Um, You'll do it. It's, it's, I think it's just one of those that, you know, a lot of people get all consumed by it. Mm-hmm. That's, I feel that's like it can be quite refreshing once you've uh, once you pull yourself away. Yeah, that's the reason why I'm so
0: glad I did it, to be honest.
2: That's why, like, you know, with the whole speaker-based stuff on YouTube, whether you're listening on YouTube or Spotify, wherever... You know, we don't have any social media accounts. We just have the channels. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, it's just how we operate ourselves. We want to put stuff out for you guys to listen to and enjoy. But um, I'm certainly, certainly not uh, like a social media manager. I think I'm past that point in my life where I'm enjoying (laughs) that stuff. Um, But that kind of leads us into the next bit where he's he's talking about, you know, mom of the says to get a job, but she don't like the one she's got. You know, there's not a lot of people that really, I can say, really enjoy their job. You know, Mm. I think some people do love their job and they're the lucky ones. You're one of the lucky ones, Josh. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But it's, I think it's one of those, uh, it's kind of tapping into sort of teenage angst, but also adolescent and growing up kind of saying, oh, I'm not really a fan of this. Mm -hmm. Being told to do something that others... We don't want to do. It kind of feels hypocritical. Yeah, definitely. Um, but it's also it taps in with the music as well because the outro becomes very like a lazy guitar riff, like very relaxed playing. Yeah, like the lyrics and the music concert like com- complement each other really, really well. Um, and I think it's you know it's it's kind of funny because it's that sort of juxtaposition. Where you've got the sort of lazy feeling verse, and then the chaotic, frustrated chorus, mm-hmm. and I think it works so well, and that's I think why it translates to so many people.
0: Yeah, I think that whole uh, quite loud, quite loud. Quite, it, again, it it must they must have done it for a reason. It's almost like two people shouting back at each other: like, do it, don't do it, do it, don't do it. Yeah, I think there's a
2: certain element of call and response, but I think there's also a certain element of, you know, not a lot of bands tend to work with dynamics anymore. Mm. Whereas dynamics used to be a very big side of recording when it was, you know, analog recording anyway. You get a certain warmth to analog recording when it's louder. Um, I'm pretty sure this would have been in the era where it will have been digitally recorded, not as good Mm -hmm. as it is now. But you can get a lot more control over things like dynamics in digital recording, anyway. Yeah, I don't think a lot of people tend to delve into it as much. Right, so yeah, track five is "Welcome to Paradise." Um, This was the song that was originally recorded for Kaplunk, and Mm -hmm. then uh, re-recorded for El Dukey. I did that. I think it's like, you know, with demo songs, we've been in that position ourselves with like, music that we've written before. Mm. There's certain demo songs and stuff that you really can't get to the point where you're like, that's it, I'm happy.
0: I suppose on some, some albums it may not translate as well as you hoped it to, and then once you obviously come up with new ideas, and new songs, it may work better with a, a different track list, I suppose.
2: Yeah, I think the, there could be another side to it where they really like that song so much they were like, you know we can do this in a lot better quality now yeah so let's you know let's really give it our all with this song mm-hmm. um yeah i think it's it kind of picks up from where long left off literally from the song and you know in terms of the themes it kind of touches on um he talks about paying attention to the crack streets and broken homes some call it slums some call it nice um I feel like this is one that I can really appreciate. I think everywhere you live, it's the same. People hate it where they grew up. Yeah. You know, you see some people like, oh, this place is horrible. It's, you know, it's really terrible around here. Like when somebody moves to somewhere else, you tend to see the other side of it. Like, oh, I like it here because I moved here. Yeah. It took for me. You've got that choice. Yeah. hundred percent. It took for me to really appreciate, um, Home when I moved home, you know I moved down to the other end of the country, pretty much, and then I moved back home, back to Birmingham. And you know, suddenly, it's one of those things that I, I do appreciate certain things more. Mm-hmm. I don't say I hate it; I dislike it at times. But there's a certain bits where I'm like, Ugh. yeah, you know. Um, so it's something that I can really tap into, but at the same time, he kind of. It's, it's really, he's contemplating a lot of things in the lyrics. He's talking about someone being shot in the second verse. And he's asking why he's still here. And I think that could, could either be, that could have been me, or it could have been, why am I not out of here yet? Why have I not left? Yeah. Which, you know, for such a fun sounding song, it's quite deep. hmm Oh, you know, of course. Green Day have a habit of doing that. They hide it behind a layer of sort of humour. Blink did it a lot mm-hmm. I think Blink, Blink did it to a very like a live degree um, you tend to see a lot of their music videos and them live and you kind of go okay they're idiots but they're singing about very deep stuff Green Day do the same Yeah. Um, but he's like the first line gets referenced later in the song where he's saying dear mother can you hear me laughing and it's kind of like I don't know if he's starting to feel more confident with the fact that he's left home. Or if it's kind of like, you know, it's showing some sort of growth maybe. I don't know. Yeah, This is one that I kind of, looking at the lyrics, I sort of struggled with a little bit. Mm. But we ended up having quite a lot of notes on it too. Um, yeah. But looking at it instrumentally as well, the chorus backing vocals with like the descending, you know, he's not... The backing vocals aren't copying what Billy Joe's singing. It's just like a descending sort of scale. Mm -hmm. Um, It's really cool. It reminds me of like the old school pow, (laughs) (laughs) pow, Batman, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, the really old school, you know, sort of 50s and 60s music. And I feel like Billy Joe was really influenced by a lot of that sort of era. Yeah. Um, He might have grown up in listening to that sort of music. Like I grew up listening to music that my mum and dad had listened to. You know, a bit of UB40 here and there. Um, yeah. But it, it's kind of cool because you hear those influences, especially in early Green Day.
0: Yeah. And
2: then definitely. all the way forward when they released Uno, Dos and Trey, um, which I know a lot of people don't like, but you can hear the influences a lot more. Yeah, it's almost have like gone back to the roots, is not there? Yeah, which is quite nice. I feel like Uno, Dos and Trey... Um, I didn't like them at first, and then I really ended up enjoying them because Mm -hmm. I feel like they went full circle. I just reckon, personally, rather than releasing three albums, they could have just released one killer album. Yeah. Because I'm pretty sure I could pick out an album's worth full of songs from Uno, Das, and Trey and be like, that's a brilliant album. Yeah. But, you know, it is what it is. Um, I I like
0: this. sorry, go on. No, 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 go for it, mate. I think this was the first song that I listened to, where, like, being as a musician, it was the first song that I actually it made me realise that trans, uh, transitions between sections of songs don't have to just be done by guitars. Yeah. Like, especially in this song, that, uh, the drums take the lead and completely change this, uh, the section fluently, and it that really stands out to me because. It's always been one of my weaknesses, I suppose, uh, trying to come up with ways to stitch a verse and a chorus together or uh, going from a, a bridge into a chorus or, or, or whatever. Yeah. It really stood out to me in this. And it, it wasn't until I actually listened to it again uh, recently that actually made me like realize this.
2: Yeah, I think it's um, when you kind of get stuck into playing a certain instrument and for you, for instance, guitar, it's very easy to think, oh, I'm writing a song, how am I going to get from this section to this section? Sometimes it doesn't actually have to be you. Yeah,
0: and I know you've told me this quite a few times, but I suppose the stubborn side of me always
2: thinks, oh, no, I have to be doing it, I have to be doing it. (laughs) I think it's one of those that some people can get into a habit of overplaying sometimes. Yeah, um, which we don't want. You know, you want it to be at a point where, you know, you are complementing other sounds. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like I love in this song the uh, the bridge. Um, it kind of gives the feel of danger in the surroundings. Talking about, you know, what was in the first, the second verse. Sorry, someone being shot. Uh, the the mm-hmm. kind of the chords being hit very like staccato. I think it is. You know, it's it's getting hit very quick. Um, yeah. And sharp, it's giving the feeling of danger and like a build of tension. Yeah. Also, the the flip side to that is the drum beat is an absolute nightmare to play. <laughs> you know, it's it's just a tom beat, and then halfway through, he introduces the the ride bell to that tom beat, and he's an octopus. I don't know how he does it, <laughs> um, but I think it's a great build up to like the final section, like the release of that song. Oh, of course, especially with the the bass line for the solo
0: that uh, he has as well. And I absolutely love the way throughout the progression of the bass solo, obviously the guitar comes in and starts taking over. And I think that really complements each other very, very well.
2: Definitely. Um, I think it's clear why that song, especially towards this album, had like a very mainstream appeal. Mm Mm-hmm. I think it's one of those songs that really pushed it forward. Even though it's from an older album, they saw that there was an appeal to yeah. the mainstream for this song.
0: Pulling Teeth, track six on the album. Um, personally, it's one of those songs that... Even, it's a great song, but for me, it's one of those... It's a shame to say, but it's, it's an album filler for me. I can easily skip it. Um, oh. Don't get me wrong, there are some points on here which I'm gonna say which is gonna kind of contradict what I've just said. But I don't know, it's...
2: I like it when you stop sitting on the fence. I like it. <laughs> it gets spicy. I like you in your own opinion. Um yeah, I think it's um it's definitely one of those songs where it's more contextual than. Mm-hmm you know, in terms of lyrically compared to probably the audio side of it. Yeah. yeah. Um, You know, it's not the only song that Green Day have written that um, sort of touches on physical violence, you know, fetishes, kinks, Mm -hmm. stuff like that, and bad relationships. You listen to Misery and uh, Blood, Sex and Booze from Warning in 2000, they lean into the very, very similar territory, sorry. Yeah. Um, You know, it's interesting because I find it, you know, bands don't really speak about that sort of stuff, especially at that time. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's quite interesting to look at, especially when you look into the lyrics and say, I'm all busted up, broken bones and nasty cuts, and accidents will happen, but this time I can't get up. Mm-hmm. it's kind of looking at a seemingly abusive relationship. Oh, um, yeah. I could be completely wrong on that, but it's kind <laughs> of like the common deflection. Oh, you know, accidents happen. Yeah, um, just look away. Yeah, so it's it's kind of, I feel like it's quite split personality where it's. He it says, is she ultra-violent? Is she disturbed? I better tell that I love her. Um, it's almost like
0: you've been forced to.
2: Yeah, exactly. It's like, is it love or control? It might mm-hmm. be uh, she, you know... She might not hurt me if I say I love her. So it's it's a bit weird because then it's so opposite to some of the vocal harmonies in the song. It almost sounds like a country song. Yeah, I'd admit mean, to be honest, the the vocals, like the harmony harmonies within the vocals,
0: I do enjoy. I mean, that's the song. If this song is played on the radio, I won't turn it off, but I could easily skip past it on the on the album. But yeah. I suppose I don't know. I appreciate the fact that. I know it's a little under halfway throughout the album, but with the the audio itself being quite tame, like slower, and not as craziness, it gives you a little bit of a rest, which is quite nice definitely so it's, um, I don't
2: know yeah, go on, sorry.
0: I think it's um it's it's needed in this part of the album because obviously the first half has been like really crazy, really fast, really hectic. It allows you to breathe for a second until you get into the next section.
2: Yeah, I feel like um, it's a lot of it, again, was deliberate. You know, it's it's moderately paced. It's not too fast. It's quite a relaxed song. Mm -hmm. Um, It connects with, you know, the lyrics when he says, for now I'll lie around, as that's all I can really do. Mm -hmm. Um, But on the other side of it, you know, you don't tend to hear a lot of reverb. You tend to hear reverb from the drums. You know, you tend to hear some sort of room sound from those drums. But the guitars yeah. are very, very dry. Which, you look at Billy Joe and what he said about this album since. He said he wanted it to be a dry sounding album similar to Sex Pistols' Early Black Sabbath. Yeah. So they were clearly influenced by like British rock and punk and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, to be fair, the only other notes I really have for this song is that you know, after the first mix was declined, it was remixed and released to a more satisfactory standard, which we already said. You already know that. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, I see what you mean by maybe it's a bit of a of a filler track. Because it's, it doesn't have the, uh, I'd say, the balls of some of the other songs. <laughs> it's just talking about a bit more heavy context in terms of lyrically.
0: Yeah, I suppose it's it's meant to be uh, more serious, I suppose.
2: Yeah, definitely. Um, even though sometimes it's hard to, you know, swing out of that territory with Green Day. Mm-hmm. Right, so uh, track seven is Basket Case. We all know this one. There's probably going to be a lot of notes on it. <laughs> um, but yeah, basically this one is um, sort of contextually, lyrically dealing with Billy Joe Armstrong's anxiety attacks and the feelings of going crazy, in his own words, prior to being diagnosed with a panic disorder. Um, Not to be too deep, but this is something that I can sort of connect with myself, you know. Um, So, you know, panic attacks and things like that, you can never really put down into words how it feels. Um clearly Billy Joe managed to. So it's, it's really, it's a fun way of doing it because in all fairness, like if I was to write a song and having a panic attack and things like that, it wouldn't come out as fun as this. And it definitely wouldn't sell as many copies. Um, So yeah, I I feel like it's one of those songs. It felt like a single from the first line. As soon as you hear the first line, you're like, Oh, this is a big song. Mm -hmm. Um, And that might be just us saying that because we're 26 years down the line going, Oh, that's a big song. Yeah. Um, but I think it tricks you the first time you hear it. Um, you know, you hear the bell on the hi-hat. It's quite light. Um, tricks you into thinking that the song's not going to be loud. Um, and, you know, you hear the vocal harmonies, which is quite nice and light as well. Um, and then the whole band comes in and it feels live. Mm-hmm. So I think it's one of those. It's one of the most of, more... Oh, I forgot what I was going to say. Then it's one of the most um, vocally catchy songs on the album. Oh yeah, definitely. You know, and that shows because it's always on places like crying TV and things like that. Yeah, I
0: remember. I, I remember seeing the uh, the music video for this. Uh, obviously, I was quite young when this came out. Yep. Um, and I remember. It gave me so many bloody nightmares. Like really? Those, the, the people with the weird
2: faces. <laughs> <laughs> it absolutely scared the crap out of me. It's funny you say that because the first time, very similarly to the first time I saw the video for Black Hole Sun by Soundgarden. Mm, I didn't sleep yeah. for like a week with the smiles and stuff. It <laughs> freaked me out. Um, but the, the video for this song was recorded in an abandoned, uh, like a psychiatric hospital. Oh, of course. Um. So yeah, it was very uh, very apt. I'd say.
0: Yeah, um, I mean, it's quite fitting.
2: Oh yeah, definitely. Um, I think it's one of those like you look at what they were talking about in the song. You know, he's talking about whining about everything and nothing at once. I think he's being conscious of being melodramatic. Mm-hmm. You know, putting emphasis on things, maybe exaggerating. Um, that could be looked at as like. You know how people are looking at it from the outside or how yeah. it is in his head he might have enough grasp on his thoughts to kind of go this is silly you know I'm, t- I'm complaining about everything and nothing at once which mm-hmm. you know all sort of logic when you're having like panic attacks and anxiety attacks and things like that just go out the window yeah I mean I, th- I think with the the whole
0: panic attack uh, theme is it's so unpredictable and I think that kind of relates to how uh, the fact what well, them3 is a that's a triple uh, triple band, they have made this song sound. So it's a lot more complex than people might think. Especially, for instance, like how after you get past the first chorus that the the riffs are different. Well, they're they're played different uh, to one another, but they're put in a way that makes the song fluent and they're yeah. able to end the song without it sounding too odd, if that makes
2: sense. Yeah, it's it's quite nice because You know, the the sections having the same sort of section but played in a different way, it sounds familiar enough for you to be open to a change. Yeah. Um, which is it's it's quite cool to be fair to see stuff like that. Um, but I think, you know, in terms of again looking at like the bridge, uh you hear him singing Grasping to Control. I hope I got that right. Um the texture falls away to focus on just really the drums and the vocals as like a build up, yeah, and then it's the first real guitar solo on the album, and I say guitar solo, but it's just really chords mm-hmm you know it's it's not really like a lead line, um but it pulls your attention in still, yeah, which that's... is really interesting to hear it' was with that section where it actually
0: it I find it quite impressive. And it was the first time I really, when I listened to it originally, uh, seen how uh, one person pl- can play guitar and sing at the same time. And it's it's just something I, uh, I don't know whether it's I can't multitask or um, it's it's just the fact that I can't do that. And I find it really impressive when people can. I know there's a, like so many people out there now who can play and sing at the same time. But
2: I feel like there's an art to it. Yeah, I feel like it's really knowing what you're playing to a degree where you don't have to think about it anymore. Yeah. Um, I could be wrong. I'm not a guitarist. Um, <laughs> so I, I could be completely wrong. But it's it's one of those that you look at it and you go, Oh God, how does he do that? Yeah. But then you look at guitarists and vocalists like Devin Townsend and you go, God, how do you do that?
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's on such a completely different level.
2: Yeah. It's it's you know, it's not just playing chords at that point. Mm. I think a lot of it is muscle memory when it comes to playing riffs and chords because it's stuff that you've written. Yeah, um, I think that may be why
0: uh, their guitar riffs are so like not pointing it down on it, but that that's maybe why they are a little bit more
2: basic, but yeah. they are still effective. A lot of people called them the three chord band for a long time
1: because
2: mm. they just use three chords in a song. But you know, if it's the if it's that that works, then that works great. hmm You know, I, I can't put it down because it works. Um, cool. But, yeah, I think it's, it's mad because it's such a massive song. Um, and, again, it's one of those songs that touches on quite deep territory, I think. Yeah. Because um, in this one, I hope I've got the right notes. I do. Um, yeah, um, Billy Joe basically said that they'd been playing it live for years. Um, beforehand, it was written in 1992, and this was came. This came out in 1994. Huh, I um, don't know that. I think it was written in 1992. It was played in 1992, anyway. Um, yeah. And he, Armstrong later said of their studio experience that everything was already written. All we had to do was play it. So it's That's... it's it's one of those. It's like you know your instrument. You know what you're playing. You yeah. should just be able to go in and one-take it, really. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think my favourite part of the song, to be fair, is probably the outro. That sounds really mean, not like in a mean way. <laughs> um, but the outro, um, like the guitar line that goes over the top, like a lead line, it kind of feels like more of a guitar solo than the bridge. Yeah. Um, and it just kind of, the end of the song sort of falls away. And it sounds, mm-hmm. It's a really great way of ending the song, I think.
0: I couldn't agree more, to be honest. But I
2: think, you know, I think my last point would just be, you know, when he's talking about like certain lyrics, he's sort of questioning everything. Um, We know that Green Day are stoners. That was where their name came from. Mm. Um, (laughs) But he kind of, he's being paranoid and he's not sure if it's him being stoned or if it's you know, his anxiety that's doing it. I so mean, to be
0: honest, obviously everybody knows the effects of, uh, what well, they were smoking back then. Um, that's definitely going to be one of the side effects easy. So he's going to bring up his panic attacks.
2: Yeah. So he's like, he's saying like, you don't know if he's being paranoid or if it's him being stoned, which is paranoid in itself. Um, well, yeah. and then that gets that line. Um, or am I just stoned sort of thing? Gets revisited multiple times in the song, which gives the feeling of paranoia because he's constantly questioning himself over and over again. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's quite smart songwriting, and we're probably looking into it in a much deeper level than Billy Joe would have written it. He might have just been <laughs> like, "Oh, that's catchy. Let's sing that again."
0: <laughs> yeah, um, probably because it's hard at the
2: time. Yeah, so I think it's. Um, I think it's definitely one of the strongest songs on the album. Oh, of course. So track eight
0: is called She, and uh, this song was the, uh, the only song on the album, which is a radio-only single. Uh, the song was written by Armstrong about a former ex-girlfriend uh, who actually showed him a feminist poem with the identical title. Um, in return, uh, Billy actually wrote the song and showed, showed it to her and later on moved to Ecuador, prompting that he should actually put this song on the album.
2: Yeah, I think she's on... Not she, as in the song, but I think uh, his ex-girlfriend, she's at the sort of centre of a lot of the songs that he wrote. Yeah. this could be wrong on that.
0: Well, there's um, actually Sassafras Roots, if that's how you pronounce it, and Yo. also uh, Chump.
2: Yeah, so... Uh, they're the ones on this album. Um, I think, and I, I think I might be wrong on this one, so don't quote me too much. I think Good Riddance as well. Mm-hmm. He wrote that about an ex girlfriend, but I think she, I think I remember reading somewhere that he wrote about an ex girlfriend that moved to France. But oh, okay. That's too similar to have two different girlfriends be like, hi, love you, now bye, I'm moving <laughs> to some other country. Um, sure. So it's it's really interesting that... Because by this time that they were recording this album, he'd already met his now wife. Oh, okay. So it's interesting that he still chose to put it on the song. But art is art, isn't it?
0: Yeah. I mean, it all comes from stories.
2: Oh, yeah. Um, I think this is one of those that I have a lot less lyrics on because I, I really do love the song. Um, but I have a lot less notes, sorry. Um I think there's just a lot of frustration in the song. I feel like mm-hmm. it was written after like an argument. Yeah. Um, you know he. The intro feels the same as Longview. It's just bass and drums. Hmm. Um, which is pretty cool. And then when you get to the chorus, it's the whole band again. Yeah. Um, which, you know, it's not copying, but it's it's a very familiar feeling sort of, uh, way of doing it. Yep. Um. There's a lot of angst and frustration. I think, you know. There's okay. there's a big scream as he goes into like the bridge. Yeah, I don't know. I got one of the
0: uh, one of my notes that I put down was the vocals seem quite lazy, a bit sloppy throughout mm. like, some of the quieter sections. I don't know whether it's like obviously it may be a song that he doesn't like performing or or whatnot due to what the actual song's about. But I don't know. It's, this, again, this is another one of those songs which I could easily just skip past. I don't uh, really what do you have think, that much. Why do you think that is? Uh, I, I, I don't know. It, it's one of those songs, I think it just doesn't excite me as much as the rest do.
2: Yeah, that's interesting, because I'm, I'm sort of the same with you on being able to skip it. But I think the reason that, I would skip it is for maybe another reason. I think that's just because I have heard the song so much Mm. that I'm like, okay, I think, I think I'm done. (laughs) You know, I think I've heard this enough now. Um, (laughs) So yeah, it's, it's funny because like, I don't know if it's referring to the poem when he's saying, are you locked up in a world that's been planned out for you? Mm. Um, It sounds like he might be referring to the poem, but he's also talking about conforming to what people expect, which is another theme on the album, which he's already spoken about. Mm -hmm. Um, The only other note I really have for this song is that they appeared at an acoustic Christmas show at Madison Square Gardens, which, if you don't know, is a huge, huge venue to play. Mm. And uh, Billy Joe played it naked. (laughs) Which which is a bit of a weird... Weird thing to to pull up, but um I didn't go and watch it.
0: It's probably one of those big FU kind of statements that he was so well known for.
2: Yeah, I think he's I think he did it a couple of times. There was one that he got arrested for, which I think it was like um obviously we've got a HMV over here, which is like a music shop. Um, and I think the same thing sort of happened at like a music shop in America. Or something like that. <laughs> and again, I could be wrong, but I remember hearing it somewhere. Jeez. Do you have any tidbits for me for this? Uh, I mean, my last note is
0: I just really appreciate and enjoy the bass tone again. As I, I think there's a lot more bass tones that I enjoy rather than the guitar tones throughout this album.
2: You're a sucker for bass. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think you're right. Like there's a lot more that you can pull away from like the bass tone. Um, I think later on in Green Day's music, you can start to really differentiate tones and stuff. Yeah. Um, because it's been very well documented, the, the gear that he uses. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, later on, you know, how he tends to do things. They don't tend to record with distortion anymore. They tend to use, like, a clean or a crunch sound and then stack them in the studio. Oh, um, okay. So you get a very light distorted sound. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas with this, obviously, he would have been playing his guitar that they know is a blue, which is like a Stratocaster replica. Yeah. Which he's been tearing down and rebuilding for years. So it's just kind of, it gives me the idea of, oh, we'll play with what we've got, mm-hmm. which I find really cool. It's very DIY. It's quite humble as
0: well, because obviously their career, they've obviously got mega rich. They won't just turn around and just go, oh, you know what, sorry, I'll, I'll buy this guitar, I'll buy that guitar, I'll buy these drums, and we'll just use something different completely every time. I suppose the longer you use an instrument, the more warm, the warming it sounds.
2: Yeah, I think, and you get to know your instrument more. Mm-hmm. So you get to know, I shouldn't do this with this, but I can do this. Yeah. But it's, it's like i read something somewhere, and this is like the American Idiot era, and I don't know if it's still the same. I, th- I, feel, I think I've read that there's like 14 replicas, of blue he's you know his stratocaster replica really? and he only ever uses the original <laughs> it's like oh i'll have one <laughs> um so yeah i th- i feel like oh, that song is it's it's a nice song and i can see why they did it as a like a radio only mhm because i feel like i don't know how you'd do a music video for that i'm not quite sure nah. So, track nine is Sassafras Roots, and I've probably butchered that name. Um, it's for me uh, one of my skippable songs. I um, <laughs> yeah, I, it doesn't mean I don't know all the lyrics because I do. Like, I can sing along to it and I know the song, but if I was choosing to listen to the album, I wouldn't go and listen to that song. I, I'd choose other songs over this. Mm-hmm. Um, I know the song is supposed to be repetitive but it feels overly repetitive kind of like a filler track
0: Yeah, it's got that very pop song structure first chorus, first middle eight, double chorus end
2: Yeah, you took the words out of my mouth then it was It's very sort of predictable on, on the kind of structure but I don't think that's really a bad thing to a certain point Green Day do it a lot It's only mm-hmm. when they got to like American Idiot and you heard like Letterbomb, bomb, and then you heard like the Saint Jimmy when they started going to like rock opera territory, that they started really changing it up. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's why they call it pop punk because it follows a very poppy structure, yeah. Um, but to be fair, like the, the it's got a catchy guitar riff right at the beginning, it's quite bouncy as well. Um, and the bass tends to follow it. Mm-hmm. Um, most songs see Green Day tend to play things like independent bass lines and um, independent drum and guitar riffs. Um, a lot of this tends to be, you know, I'm going to play this chord, you just play the root on bass sort of thing. It doesn't feel like typical, what they're known for uh, Green Day, really. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a big emphasis on the drums saying that. I think it's a real standout track for Trey Yeah. You can really hear the energy that he puts behind the kit. Um, and the lyrics are just talking, you know, about Billy Joe talking about wasting time. Um, and I feel like that reflects in the lyrics. I feel like I've had my time wasted. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, no, I I don't mean that. That's mean. Um, but he's asking his ex-girlfriend if he could waste his time while she's wasting hers. I feel like it taps into the whole things are better when you're not alone. Hmm. Um, sort of theory, you know, I don't think I'd be able to do this podcast by myself. (laughs) Because I'd be talking to myself in a room, and I don't (laughs) like that. Um, So, yeah, I I feel like it taps into a a few good things, but um, I feel like sometimes they put filler tracks before... I feel like bands do know what tracks are filler tracks. And I feel like they purposely put them before singles.
0: Yeah, it gives it that better transition to, like, so, I don't know, if people don't enjoy, like, for instance, that song as much, then they know for a fact when I come around it's coming next. Then they're like, oh, you know what, sorry, I want to listen to that now, like, because it's a much stronger song.
2: Yeah, and it might be, you know, somebody that listens to this might think this is the best song on the album. We're not saying you're wrong. That's that's the whole thing, that this is a conversation and, you know, I just prefer other songs. I have a very certain formula that I like to stick to, really. Um, like Josh has his certain formula that he sticks to. And I think we all do. We have certain mm-hmm. things that perk areas up. Yeah. So, yeah, it, it's a fun song, but um, I much prefer the next song. Definitely. When
0: I Come Around is Track 10 on the album. Uh, personally, another one of my favourites. Uh, purely for the fact, as soon as it starts, the gritty guitar tone you get, absolutely gorgeous. I mean, I, I don't know how, because I've never really looked at their uh, rig rundowns. Um, no, it's, it's it's very, very gritty. And I, I quite like how, uh, throughout the start of the song as well, it's very distinguishable uh, between both the riffs of the guitar and the bass. Yeah, I think I think it works so well, and they've obviously thought a lot about it. I don't know. I, th- I think it may be. I don't know the the first riff on the guitar alone itself is very rep- uh, re- uh, repetitive. Yeah. Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> very repetitive. But I think that's just purely down to the fact that obviously Billy Joe is focusing focusing so much on the vocals. Yeah. It's funny. It
2: works. Yeah, it's 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 one of their less punk rock songs on the album. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like it's one of their more radio-friendly rock songs. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's, it's weird because you hear things in a song, like it's a lot more chord-driven than a lot of their songs in, on the album.
0: Yeah, it seems um, like, I don't know about you, but the song instrumentally may have been written by Mike.
2: Funnily. Yeah. It's funny you say that because that's exactly what I was just going to say. It's, um, it's more chord driven with a bouncy bass line. It mm-hmm. shouldn't really work because the, the drums and the guitar are quite simple, but the bass kind of bounces all over the place, which is really cool to hear. Mm-hmm. So it shouldn't work, but it, it, it does. Um, yeah, it's, it's quite a nice song. Like it has got another guitar solo, which taps in with everything that they're talking about in the lyrics. It's quite contemplative. I hope that's yeah. the right word. Um, it's like, he's pondering, um, but it's less chords and more of a lead line this time, rather than just chords. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's, it's quite, I don't know how to say it. Like it's quite light feeling. Yeah. Nice um, and simple. Yeah, and I think, the, you know, in terms of, like, the sections and things like that, the chorus tends to break it, um, it builds to a break in the, uh, I think it's like the pre-chorus, um, when it goes, when I come around, and everything stops, and it yeah. really forces you to kind of pay attention to it, mm-hmm. which is probably the most catchy part of the song, to be fair. Yeah. Dead simple. Um, but this was the first song um, that was written about his wife, Adrian. Oh, really. It's about an argument that they had, huh. um, which is really funny because the first time I remember seeing the music video for this, I was sat at a friend's house, and the music video is them just walking around the block, <laughs> and I'm like, that looks like an argument. Um, <laughs> but yeah, basically, it's kind—I of, think it just reflects the destructive nature of like a relationship. Yeah. Um, like he's talking about in the first verse, hearing his girlfriend crying loud, but it seems like he's not really caring too much. Yeah. Um, and then he says, I'm a loser and accuser. Uh, loser and a user, so I don't need no accuser. Um, which, for me, um, it sounds like that's the common line that comes up in their arguments. Oh, you're yeah. a loser sort of thing. So he's throwing it back at her to say, like, you can't say it because I've already said it. mm mm-hmm. um, But then he says, you know, you can't go forcing something if it's just not right, which is quite cool because, you know, it's addressing the fact that you don't want to force to make things work.
0: No, they can obviously see issues that
2: underline. Which is mad because they've been together since this album was written. <laughs> now, you know, um, I like the chorus though cuz lyrically it's so simple. It's basically you know where I am if you need me. Yeah. <laughs> Which is quite nice. It's like, you know, it's it's not striving to be badass. It's just saying you know where I am. Yeah. Well, they obviously work things out if they're still together. Oh yeah, definitely. 100%. <laughs> So, track 11 is called Coming Clean. Uh, the song actually deals with Billy Joe Armstrong coming to terms with his bisexuality when he was 16 and 17. Spicy. And, Spicy. Um, in his interview with The Advocate magazine, he stated that although he's never had a relationship with a man, his sexuality has always been something that comes up as a struggle within me. Um, don't quote me too hard on that because I think I read that wrong. Um, but yeah, basically I, I like it because the you know the beginning sounds like something you'd hear with a, a live band at a show. It's like the whole band just going bang one note, yeah. and he's, while he's singing seventeen, you, you know you'd hear that at like a live show. Yeah. Um, and just the way that the riff is played is a Green Day staple. It's quite a. It's I can't really explain the rhythm. Like I think I've just done another Green Day song, but they, they tend <laughs> to use that rhythm a lot. Um So, you know, I think that really works for them. This is probably the first song that they did it on. Mm. Um But the song's really short, so we don't have a lot of notes on it, I don't think. It's like 1 minute 30. Yeah, I mean, this is the first
0: song... I wouldn't even say it's the first song, but... It was a song that I noticed uh, more underlying guitar lines uh, that had been recorded with such a gritty tone, um, almost like it was meant to be done, but very, very subtly. Yeah. And it was only until recently when I actually listened to uh, the album again through proper headphones it was that I was able to actually pick those out because I'd never noticed them before.
2: It's really interesting you say that because, you know, it's very easy to just crank something up in a car or at home on a hi-fi system or whatever it is and you lose a lot of details. It's when you're actually sat listening to something private, maybe a little bit quieter than you would, that you hear stuff that you probably didn't really notice a long time beforehand. Uh, I don't know. It's it's until...
0: I haven't really appreciated this album as much as I should have up until pretty much now.
2: Yeah, it's it's worth saying that, you know, obviously with the whole list of songs and albums that we're going to do for Sounds That Changed My Life, um, some of the albums I've chosen, some of them that Josh has chosen, this was kind of a mutual one for the both of us. Mm. Um, but I think it was, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but it was a lot more leaning in my direction with Dookie. Um, like, I, I think I brought it up and then Josh was like, oh, yeah, actually, because we did... Listen to this song a lot when we were younger together as well, to be fair. Yeah. Um, I know this has been one of those bands that
0: has like, definitely been one of your favourite bands more than it has mine.
2: Yeah, I can see that. Oh, I can 100% see that, actually. I think definitely. we were growing up when, you know, this album went out when we were, well, obviously when we were very young it was, but you know, our sort of era was the American idiot sort of era. Yeah. When we were growing up, but you know, I think that was a gateway into a lot of other green day music for us. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it's, it's one of those that, you know, I think American idiot itself is like, they call it a rock opera. They really put a lot of effort into this, uh, into that album. Whereas you look at this and that kind of takes me back to what I was actually going to say. Like uh, the lyrics are quite repetitive. Um, I think it's on a tries to take you on a journey of growing up in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, trying to figure out who you are and the constant, you know, parents don't understand sort of situation. Yeah. Um Billy Joe's talking about a very personal situation and he's letting his parents in on it. You know, as difficult as it is, he sings, you know, skeletons come to life in my closet. So it's stuff that's been in his mind for a long time. So the song doesn't really need to be that repetitive or um, it doesn't really need to be that complex because the lyrical content is complex within itself. Yeah. Aminia Sleepers, track 12.
0: Well, I hope that's how you pronounce it anyway. I have no clue. So you probably <laughs> did it way better than I would. <laughs> uh, there's not a lot that I can really say about this song. It's, it's weird. It's, throughout the end of the album, Obviously, they get a lot shorter. Like, well, I mean, they're below two minutes each. It, I don't know. It's a lot of lyrical content that's been crammed in, which worked. But for the rest of the music in this song, especially, like the bridge itself, sounds very messy to me. Uh, in terms of like each of the instruments, although how talented each of them are this one doesn't work for me. Like the levels within the mixing were off. It sounds like the drums are way too loud. Guitar wasn't loud enough.
2: Um, There's not really much else I can say about it. You're a guitarist. You always want the guitar to be louder. (laughs) (laughs) Um, To be fair. Yeah. I agree. Like the song is like one minute 43. And like the biggest note that I had for this song was, you know, it baffles me how much lyrical content he can get into such a short space. Mm. Tongue twister. Um and he still leaves time for a, like a build up in the the bridge of the song. It's like, wow. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, but he does lean on the drums and the bass a lot more in the song.
0: Yeah. Um
2: But it just sounds like, you know, in the lyrics, he sounds like he's running into an old friend and realizing how much they've changed. Sometimes that's not a good thing. It's you know it's how fast life moves, really. And, you know, that person that he's talking to might have become a bit jaded. It might have become a little bit bitter, um, you know. We've all been there in that situation where we've run into an old friend, and we might have been at school with them. And then suddenly, it's like, oh, mm, how were we friends? And it's like you might realise that you were only friends because you were at school together. You were thrown yeah. into the same room for five years together. Yeah. Um, but if you weren't in that situation, you might not have been friends in the first place. Oh, exactly. i um, I mean, I'm. Um... Like a classic victim for that. It's interesting though because like I I I'm a big believer in that sort of stuff. Like me and Josh grew up together, um, and it was genuinely probably in terms of our friendship, it wasn't because our parents were friends. It wasn't because you know we were at school together. We were just we just met at the park. We were kids and we just met at the park because I had a skateboard in my hand. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, it's one of those, it's like that's really lasted for a very long time, whereas we didn't go to school together. Yeah. So it, it, I think it's a different type of friendship when you are kind of thrown into a, an area at the same time for a long time. Um, and I've still got a lot of friends that I do talk to from school, um, but probably just not on as much of a permanent basis, I think.
0: I mean, everybody. Everybody's got their own lives to live. At the end of the day, if you're able to come together, uh, even if it's just just you speaking online, yeah, you should still have that connect connection with that person, I suppose.
2: Yeah, I think uh, the song is very short, but it's it's quite deep lyrically.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Right. So, track thirteen is in the end, um, not the Linkin Park song, the Green Day <laughs> song. Um, yeah, it's it's. It's funny because my top note on this is this is my favourite track on the album, but I always get confused between this and the next song, so this one isn't my favourite. Um, it's the next song. <laughs> um, but this song is about his mom and her new husband. Uh, Billy Joe quoted it, saying that this song is about my mother's husband. It's not really a girl or anyone directly related to me in a relationship. It's about my mother. It's fast. It's probably the most punk song in the album, I think. Mm. Um, it's 1 minute 46. Um, and from what I've got from it, it seems like it's Billy Joe not being approving of, approving of his mum's husband, sort mm. of trying to size him up and figure him out. Um, you know, lyrically, it's addressing him looking at his, this man looking at his mum as almost a trophy, I think. You know, asking him, his mum, sorry, how long this man will last before he's just a in quotes a creep in the past? Mm. Um, it just feels like a scathing review of a man. <laughs> like I mean, they can't see honest. eye to eye. <laughs> yeah, I
0: mean, it's probably happened to so many people out there. Oh, when they were kids, trying to do what's best for their mom.
2: Yeah, like it's it's a weird one. Like my I, I grew up with my my parents being split up, um, and you know, it's it's one of those that my mom's had boyfriends and stuff. And growing up when you are a kid, you're like, well, I've got a dad mm-hmm. and it's, it's very cut and dry in your head. You think, Oh, well, that's not my dad <laughs> sort of thing. But at the same time, it's, it's one of those situations that, you know, I, I grew up as, as long as I have known with, you know, my mom and dad being separated. So it's, it's a very weird one because realistically you look at it and you just kind of go, Oh, You know, people move on. People do meet other people. Mm -hmm. You don't have to like them. It's not my job to like them. Yeah, Um, And I feel like a lot of people have been in that situation. Oh, of course. But the lyrics are such a contrast in what you actually hear musically because it's really bouncy and fun.
0: Mm -hmm. One of the things I always pick up on is how much I focus more on the drums uh, throughout this song. Yes. I think because of how exciting the drums are, especially in the chorus, it's something I always pick up on most. And Mm. I I
2: don't know about you, it's such an underrated song. I wish it was higher up in the track list. Definitely. And I think it's one of those songs that they should definitely play a lot more. Mm -hmm. Um, I can imagine stage invasions in small clubs to this song and mosh pits. (laughs) Uh, The vocal harmonies just feel like a bit of a juxtaposition to the song, though, because... It's so bouncy and fast, and the lyrics are very smooth over that bouncy rhythm. Yeah. Um, the, the bridge, use of
0: the, empty, the use of the empty spaces as well. Oh, yeah. It's so refreshing.
2: Yeah, it's really nice to ha- actually have that breathing space in some songs. Um, but the bridge feels like it's something a band, like a big band would do while their front man runs about the stage, which Billy Joe does a lot. Yeah. So it's kind of like they were planning ahead. Like musicians always imagine what their songs are going to sound like in front of people. Mm-hmm. So I think it's good to see that, you know, they had that forward vision in mind. FOD, track 14.
0: As you probably heard in the, uh, the last song uh, explanation, we found out that it's, this must be Tom's favorite song. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I mean from what I get from it, the simplistic uh vocals and acoustic guitar going into like such a an aggressive punk uh loud song for the rest of it, I think it's a shame it's so low in the track list yeah. because of how powerful it is. I mean the obviously FOD, we all know what that means. It's so just a the whole theme of it's very gritty, very dark. He's trying dark. not
2: to say it. He's trying yeah. not to say the words fuck off and die. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, it obviously clearly shows when Billy Joe was writing it, he seriously has and is holding such a grudge against that person. I mean, I don't know who it is. It could be an ex-girlfriend or, or who knows. It's interesting you say that because...
2: I like... found this on the web. Oh, hello, Siri. <laughs> Sorry. <Yeah>. Sorry. <laughs> We'll keep that in. Um, so, yeah, basically, like, it's interesting because it's like he's confronting feelings on someone, not Siri. Um, <laughs> calling them two-faced. And effectively, it's basically cutting them off by, you know, the lyrics saying, let's nuke the bridge we torched 2,000 times before. It's like, we've tried to get on and we can't get on. Mm. It's, again, probably a situation that a lot of people have been in. Yeah. Um. It's probably the first time that I actually realised that punk bands could do acoustic stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought the first time I heard it, it was a fully acoustic song, and then it scared the hell out of me when the whole band came in. Because <laughs> uh, it, it's very quiet at the beginning, so it, it kind of forces you to turn up whatever you're listening to. You're like, oh, I'm going to turn this up a bit because I can't hear it too well. Yeah. And it gets really loud.
0: No, I, I quite enjoy how how they do things like that purely for the fact obviously if it's a build up to something which is a, a lot bigger, then it may be like a a way of them being able to portray the negative theme for the song itself.
2: Yes. Um yeah it's it's like when the whole band come in it's so unexpected and it just shows flexibility. Um mm-hmm. I think it kind of Says a lot for the future because Billy Joe would go on to do a lot more acoustic music on later albums. So, you know, he did, um, good riddance, which is massive. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, warning was predominantly acoustic rather than electric. So it's, it's interesting to see that he is happy to pick up an acoustic guitar. Um, it's actually one of the longest songs on the album as well, which is saying something because it's only two minutes, 50. (laughs) Um, But, yeah, I, I like the lyric when he's saying, I've had this burning in my gut now for so long. He's basically saying, you know, it feels like such an uplift once the whole band comes in when he sings that. Yeah. And, you know, before The Secret Song, this was the last song on the album, so it was a perfect way to end it. Mm-hmm. It was like a big, bombastic, like, ends the album. And then we have... All By Myself. (laughs) 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 Right, so uh, track 15 is All By Myself. Um, Originally not actually a track. Um, It was on the end of track 14 on Spotify and all kind of modern platforms. It's by itself, so you can listen to it as much as you like. Um, It's the first time I ever found a secret song on an album. Mm. Um, That, and then it was probably Fuck A Dog by Blink. (laughs) <laughs> which got me into so much trouble when I was young. Um, and from what I know, this album was, not this album, sorry, this song was recorded at a house party. Um, and it was all called guitar and vocals. Um, it's almost childlike the song is. Mm-hmm. It sounds like, some, like the guitar line sounds like something you'd hear from like Game of Thrones, someone sat in a forest. Yeah, it's got such a, a like a lute. Connor yeah guitar but it's it's quite it's quite childish, like the way he sings, and you know you think that it's going to be about something innocent and then it's talking about him pleasuring himself or thinking about someone <laughs> <laughs> um, but he sings it in a way which is almost like, but that's okay because I was all by myself. Um, Trey call cool has probably you know pushed the band to another level with this song when they found this. Yeah, But he's also played it live quite a few times as well. Um And he tends to change the lyrics for, oh yeah, did I mention to, I have an erection. <laughs> Which is great. I love it. Um But yeah, I think, you know, the, the quality of the recording for this song isn't great. And I don't think it needs to be. It's just something tongue in cheek, isn't it? Yeah, of course. I think it's one of those songs that, you know, had they have left off the album, and then it was to come out years and years later, people would have been well annoyed that he wasn't there.
0: I don't think it would have worked with their later stuff. Obviously, going into American Idiot, it went a lot more political. So I don't yep. think the theme of this would have fit with that.
2: Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, I think, being as this has such childish themes um, on the album sometimes, it's, uh, it's the perfect place to put it exactly. on an album called Dookie which I think is a perfect way to conclude the podcast. Mm. Now, we're not going to finish it right now. We have uh, closing thoughts to our opening thoughts. So um, I'm going to start with asking what Josh thinks. Okay. Uh, overall opinion of the album.
0: Absolutely love it. And I'll probably say uh, being very close to uh, growing up with this uh, album and American Idiot. They are very uh side by side. I can't pick out which I prefer more, uh, for different reasons. Uh absolutely love the uh both the guitar and bass tones throughout the album, um for seeing how gritty and how how much they must have worked on getting those specific sounds. Yeah. Um, I quite enjoyed the fact it was a shorter album, uh, because obviously with how it gets so crazy throughout each of the songs, you, you don't really want to be listening to an album, which is just constantly, constantly going, um, for, I don't know, say an hour, an hour, 10 minutes. Yeah. So I don't know. I think the, the shorter aspect of it worked for me. Um, their writing process in terms of being able to give each one of the members their own little uh, spotlights throughout each of the songs, uh, more in others. Uh, I appreciate that because you don't really hear that in many albums today. But That's true. I don't know. It's The fact that they give Trey – no, not Trey, sorry, Mike so much spotlight for doing – more bouncier riffs on his bass, or even solos—it's just fantastic. It's so refreshing to hear.
1: I
2: think uh, it's great just because there's only three people in the band, so you've got to. There's got to be breathing room. Yeah, of course. Um, classic
0: songs that everybody knows, and personally, my favourites on the album would be "Long View," "Welcome to Paradise," "Basket Case," and "When I Come Around."
2: Ooh, good choices. Um, I will take over from there and basically just say, in terms of my thoughts itself, um, yeah, I really love this album. Um, after first hearing it, I waited about 10 years to see Green Day live. I could never get tickets, as I said earlier. Um, I was always struggling to get those tickets, and they always sold out. Um, but the time I did see them, I was extremely lucky because they played this album in its full um, at Reading and Leeds in 2013. Oh um for its 20th anniversary, which is crazy because it was 20 years in 2013. Um, it's clear why this album is so adored. Um, and why it's been so commercially successful. I think it went diamond, sold like 20 million copies. hmm Something like that. Um and that was in 2013, so it's got to have sold way more since. Oh, yeah, cool. Because that was his 20th anniversary. Um, Yeah, to be fair, some people prefer their latest stuff over this, but, you know, this was my introduction, so it'll always have a special place in my heart. Mm, Of course. Um, And I think, personally, I think that wraps it up. Anything you want to say, Josh? Thank you very much for
0: listening. If you got to this point, really appreciate it, and we hope that you come back to our next
2: episode. To be fair, you took the words out of my mouth. Um, We are quite a way into this now. We did plan for this podcast to be... Maybe half an hour, mini podcasts. And for certain sounds, you know, if it's just a song, they might be. We might do short podcasts here and there. If you are this far far into the podcast, thank you for sticking with us. Bye-bye, car. Um, I'm assuming that everybody just heard that car in the background. Otherwise, I sound mental. (laughs) Um, But, yeah, thank you for sticking around. We really appreciate it. If there's ways that we can improve, let us know. I can't go out and blow cars up, so sorry about that um but yeah let us know how we can improve tell us what you enjoyed about this album tell us what you didn't um if you're following us on youtube feel free to you know do the usual subscribe thumbs up thumbs down whatever you prefer comment let us know what you think um if you are listening on any of the podcast platforms uh feel free to subscribe or follow i don't quite know how it works yet so um feel free to let us know too um, but thank you for being here. And I think we're going to sign this off and say goodbye. So, bye bye. Bye bye. Usually we wave here, but we can't wave on no video. So, <laughs> bye, guys.
1: Yeah. <laughs>